Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. This is episode number 44 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about all things Stargate. Today we're talking about SG-1 Season 4. Another one of our favorite years in Stargate history. But before we get to that, we have a little preview of our interview with actor Ryan Robbins, who played Layden Redeem on Stargate Atlantis and now co-stars on Sanctuary. Plus, we've got a little bit of Stargate news, some site features, and that second preview that we promised you of the upcoming Big Finish audio novel, First Prime, narrated by Christopher Judge. Let's start off the show with that. General Hammond ordered, close the iris. A holographic transmission shimmered into being on the embarkation ramp. A figure in elaborate golden armor and robes, carrying himself with the monstrous arrogance that only the Goa'uld are born with. Apophis. Attention, insects. This is your god. I speak to the traitor, to the coward Teak. Hear me, Shola. I hear your words, you parasite. You cannot escape the justice of the Goa'uld. You will pay in blood for your betrayal of your god. My legions have captured your Tari allies. They will be taken to space and thrown from my ships. I will not permit that. The system lord glared at me, as if his hateful stare alone could cut me down. You can do nothing to stop it, Shova, unless you wish to offer yourself to face my punishment in their place. These Tari are a poor catch. You, Tilk, you are the prize. Come and face me. If you are not afraid. Once again, that's First Prime, the brand new audio drama from Big Finish Productions. You can read more at bigfinish.com or head over to gateworld.net and look for the book section. First Prime is available on CD or by audio download at the end of this month. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for May 27th, 2009. Bit of a slow news week, but we do have some DVD news to share. MGM has officially announced the release of Stargate Atlantis Season 5 on DVD. As we previously reported, this is coming out in a five-disc set on June 30th. Includes 20 episodes, of course. Lots of featurettes, and the official press release from MGM and Fox Home Entertainment lists all the disc contents and all the bonus featurettes. And there's a lot of cool stuff on here. There's one on the Ronin Tire fight in Broken Ties. There's a piece on Joe Flanagan, which has been a long time coming. Uh, there's a Daniel Jackson Goes to Atlantis and a bunch of other things here. Yeah, Ivan Bartok and his crew uh, do a notoriously awesome job. Ivan is really good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. It's nice that they have a full-time production guy there who works mm-hmm. year-round during the during the production year to do bonus mm-hmm. features. Instead of someone who comes up every once in a while to do the occasional featurette. There are deleted scenes on this. There's, there's actually two segments of deleted scenes on discs four and five. There are no bloopers, unfortunately, like we got season four. One of the releases had bloopers. I thought it was season four. Lots and lots of audio commentaries, but unfortunately we don't get audio commentaries for every single episode this time. Mm-mm. No, they're kind of throttling down on those, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, we've got 16 out of 20 this time, and in, in the past it's usually been 19 or 20. I remember there was no commentary for the real world in Season 3, which disappointed me. Uh, I think probably in part because there was a guest director on that show. 
But uh, there are no commentaries in Season 5 for Ghost in the Machine, The Shrine, Infection, and Identity. Hey, if you want a commentary on The Shrine, just dig into the GateWorld podcast archives. We have a conversation with David Hewlett about that episode. Stargate Atlantis Season 5, again, is coming out June 30th. That's here in North America, DVD Region 1. And it will come a suggested retail price of about $50 U.S., $70 Canada. And what else is coming out on DVD? Children of the Gods, the final cut on July the 21st. It has a running time of 90 minutes. It's in full It's in full screen. Did you see that? I did not see that. Amazon listed as full screen. Amazon says it's full screen. I bet that's wrong. That's got to be wrong. I can't that's... imagine that the Brads, Brad Wright and Brad Rines, the editor, delivered it in full screen. Unless there was like something cataclysmically wrong with the original copy. Yeah. Um, I, I find that very hard to believe. Well, so we'll if you see. see that, do not fret. We've talked about Children of the Gods' final cut, uh, the, the remake, recut of the original SG-1 pilot here before. Uh, what's new in the last week is that it's now available to pre-order on Amazon.com, and if you click through... From GateWorld, we get a little goodie. This disc has a couple of rad special features, including the first ever Stargate full-length episode commentary featuring Brad Wright along with Richard Dean Anderson. I think I may watch that before I watch the recut episode. No, probably not. I'll watch the recut episode first, but definitely be a close second. Yeah. GateWorld features. GateWorld's brand new interview with Stargate Atlantis's David Nickel is now available on the website. Once again, Chad and I caught up with David at the Creation Vancouver convention last month and had a nice little chat. What's up now? And expect a brand new interview with Stargate Atlantis's Raiden Radim, also known as Ryan Robbins. Ryan is uh, one of our buddies, always showing up at uh, our GateWorld parties in Vancouver, always showing up at the fan parties. Just a great guy. I'm really hoping yep. that Creation cool dude. decides to bring him into the uh, convention circle for next and a, year's and con. And a mean poker player from what I hear. Just don't moon him. What is that a reference to? He'll turn into a werewolf. Oh, moon him. Okay. Don't moon a werewolf. Reaching. When I was 12, uh, we were... We were... About to, we're going to sort of um, check out the junior high we were going to go to the next year, and this, these kids had done this uh, this sketch, this little play, and, and this one kid in particular just blew my mind. I thought he was so good. I was like, man, I want to do that. And uh, I had all these sort of hopes and, and dreams, all these things I wanted to be when I grew up, firefighter, or stuntman, or whatever. And I I quickly realized that if I'm an actor, well, I can do all those things. I could be any number of those things. So uh, that's when I, I really started focusing on it. And then um, I went to a, a high school that had a really progressive arts program. And I had a teacher there uh, named Drew Kemp. And I would turn every scene into a joke that you do when you're a teenager. And I would just, it was this really um, intense acting program that we were meant to take seriously. And I just didn't. I just kind of relied on my... <laughs> whatever, I just like, ah, oh, I can perform, it'd be great, and he literally kicked my butt in a scene, he was so angry with me for not, you know, um, being truthful in the scene with my scene partner, that he took over the scene from my scene partner, and we actually physically were tearing at each other, Sparring. And yelling <laughs> and screaming, but staying within the scene, and it was so amazing, the feeling, it was so exhilarating and cathartic. I want to do this. I want to feel like this all the time. And that was sort of the moment. And then 
I scrambled around doing lots of other things and, you know, I was a circus performer, I was in a band, and did all these things so I didn't know how to really be an actor, particularly in film and television. And uh, this wonderful filmmaker was a fan of my band and put me in a movie and kind of just went from there. And last but not least, we have some new features up on the site in our new weekly columns. David does DVD bonus features. And I do the Friday Five. Last week on the Friday Five is Earth Under Siege, our favorite five attacks on the planet Earth. That this, was fun to read. This was fun to put together. I have to say. For the Earth being on the brink of annihilation each time, I think that was an interesting juxtaposition. So to just give you a little taste, if you haven't gone to the site and looked at it yet, number five is the very subtle, crafty Ashen attack in 2010. Make friends with the population and then drastically reduce their numbers. And to see the top four, now you've got to go to Gate World. What are we doing on bonus features this last week? Every Monday is uh, DVD special features. Uh, we roll out either hundreds or thousands of, of brand new uh, screen captures from past special features for Stargate. This week we introduced 2,000 screenshots from the SG-1 Complete Series Region 1 DVD set of the director featurettes. Every one of those is cool. now on there. That's uh, several episodes from season six, seven, and eight, which were not in the original Region 1 individual season sets. Those are now on the site. So director's featurettes, those screen caps are lots and lots of behind-the-scenes stuff with the cast and crew? Yes. Basically, the way that we're organizing this is if you're in Region 1 and you have the complete series DVD box set and you have the little booklet that comes with it, you can use the booklet to determine where in the gallery the special features are going to be. If they were complete series DVD special feature content only, then you're going to find them under that folder. Everything else is going to have its own as well. So we are gradually rolling this out. Like I said, 2,000 images alone were added this week. Next week for June the 1st will be the 100th episode featurette, Sci-Fi Inside SG-1's 200th episode, and Behind the Mythology of Stargate SG-1. Right on. Motoring through it. The schedule is slated all the way through October the 19th. Just keeps going and going. And coming up this Friday on my column, the Friday Five, we're going to look at Ronan Dex's best fights. And I kind of have my preliminary list picked out, but what I want to see is other people take up this topic. And if you've got a, a Stargate blog or a blog where you don't mind posting about Stargate, post your favorite five fights for Ronan and see how the lists match up, and then we can do track back. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is the fourth season of Stargate SG-1 as we continue to plow through our look at Stargate history throughout 2009. If you are in front of a computer and listening to this discussion, pull up the episode guide on GateWorld. You can see at a glance all 22 episodes that we're looking at here. That's gateworld.net slash SG-1 slash S4. So, Small Victories kicked us off, but what would you say was your all-time favorite for Season 4? Window of Opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. That episode, I did not see that one coming. Colonel O'Neill, what the hell are you doing? In the middle of my backswing! I have never laughed so hard at an episode of SG-1. Joe and Paul were new and fresh. They just hit the ground running, Yeah, this was the season when... Joe Malazzi and Paul Mully joined the writing staff, and this was one of their first episodes. Their their first one that they actually wrote aired later. It was Scorched Earth, I think. Scorched Earth, I just finished watching a few days ago, watching on a lunch break, and mm-hmm. uh, man, that episode was a good conundrum. First, Window of Opportunity. This seems to be 
a favorite for a lot of people, if not just about everybody who's posted over in the forum. My name is Candace. I'm from Southern California. I'm pretty sure it's easy to pick favorite episode from season four definitely would be window of opportunity probably going to be most of other people's favorite episode two just has some of the best one-liners and the best jokes from stargate ever ever Uh, i don't think i laugh as much in any other episode other than maybe episode 200 or a couple of the atlantis episodes Funniest episode ever written, I think, by any of the Stargate writers. Thanks, Candice, for that call. You know, A Window of Opportunity struck me when it first aired in the same way that Ergo did. Because a funny, funny episode was such a departure from Stargate. It took me a while for it to really warm up, for me to really warm up to it. I think in the episode guide, when I was watching season four, so within like a week of Window of Opportunity airing, I think I gave it an average rating like two or two and a half stars. Mm. And I've upped it since then, and it's three stars right now. I should probably up it again because it's one of the all-time best episodes of of SG-1. But it is a departure, don't you think? Oh, it's absolutely a departure. There had never been quite anything like it up until that point. It's very similar to uh, a Star Trek Next Generation episode that I'm thinking of is uh, the one that uh, featured Kelsey Grammer at the very end. Cause and effect. Cause and effect, and you know, it's uh, obviously they recognized that it. it was a whole lot like Groundhog Day, and made mention of it in the episode. So there is that element to it. But man, was it funny! Listen to me. I know what it's like. You can't. I lost my son. I know. And as much as I, I could never live that over again. Could you? No. Let her go. You don't see Richard Dean Anderson hearkening back to the original O'Neill very much in terms of what happened in the original feature, and this one really does. Uh-huh. His son had died. The fact that it's it's a funny episode, and then it is so intensely emotional and poignant mm. at the end, just is, makes it one of my favorite episodes. What's your favorite for season four? Season four has so many fantastic episodes. Um... I know what my close second is, but my favorite is Exodus. My favorite is the season finale. Exodus was a very good show. This Great special effects. SG-1 and the Tok'ra get together and not only decide that they're done with Tanith, so we can throw them in jail, but uh, we're going to blow up a star in order to wipe out Apophis' new monster fleet. And that was awesome. We talk about wanting to see episodes where the Stargate itself gets used and gets used creatively. This was... This is the epitome of that, I think, in a lot of ways. Take a Stargate, put a shield around it, drop it into a star when you know your enemy is approaching. And you time it just right, and you can cause the star to go nova. Something wrong? No. I've never blown up a star before. Well, they say the first one's always the hardest. They say that. This is one of those ideas where I'm surprised they haven't done it again. Well, I mean, in terms of, like, creatively, I guess you don't really want them doing it again. Coerce your enemy into a solar system and then blow up the solar system. What a great idea. And it was executed really well. There was some great story around it, around Teal'c's mm-hmm. revenge. Teal'c's vendetta. Carmen Argenziano as Jacob Carter had some great stuff as well. And it led into one of my favorite episodes of the show, which was 501 Enemies. Mm-hmm. It's just a great piece of work. You know, the, the visual effects for this season were absolutely extraordinary. Every episode was jam-packed with them. 
And, you know, I don't know what it was, but it felt like this year, above almost all the others, they had more money. It just feels that way to me. I don't know why. You don't have an episode in that season where it's a clip show. All the others, you know, every time I saw a visual effect, I could just see the amount of money that they have left for the season shrinking. Oh, that's that cost a lot of money. That cost a lot of money. Mm. With no episode in season four did I ever feel that at all. There is no mid-season two-parter in season four, which is, is very interesting to me. Normally you get those big budget expenditures with the season premiere and the mid-season two-parter and the season finale. And here it... it looks like it's much more evenly spread, like you said. Mm-hmm. Story-wise, you know, I think one of the reasons why season four is still one of my all-time favorites is because these stories are so different from each other and so uh, clever and creative and so different from what has come on SG-1 before. Uh, just looking down this list, these are... I mean, you just look at the picture that we've chosen for the episode guide, and it, it if you're familiar with the series, it pops in your head what that story mm-hmm. was about. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much going on here that's just varied from week to week. I'd like to go back to small victories. Mm-hmm. The big finish to the introduction of the replicators from the previous season, you know, the scourge of the Asgard that was originally introduced in season three's Fair Game, another fantastic visual effects extravaganza, some great stuff with Carter. They got aboard a submarine. They did. They shot aboard a Los Angeles-class submarine. The story was solid, and it just made sense. The fact that Jack has to go off and deal with the replicators and their presence on Earth, and then the Asgard come, and they've got their own problems going on, and Sam gets to go off and help them. Normally, we don't necessarily like episodes where the team is split up. We're always talking about great team episodes. This is one where splitting up the team really kind of works because uh, there's fun things going on in both sides. Get some great interaction between Sam and Thor on board the Asgard ship. Would you like sustenance? Yes. Thank you. I'm starving. I like the yellow ones. Oh, my God. Sorry. Just because it's it's not a team together episode doesn't mean that it's going to be a bad show, and and it can be an excellent show. And Small Victories is definitely a, a proving point of that. Well, let's talk about the low point again. This is all relative because season four is start to finish awesome. In the scheme of that bracket, a good episode that I think falls toward the bottom of this very great stack of 22 episodes. My least favorite of the season, I think, is Point of No Return, the introduction of Marty, a conspiracy theorist who has intimate knowledge of the Stargate program. He says he's from outer space, and then it turns out he really is an alien who secretly relocated here and then lost his memory. I'm online, and I find this conspiracy chat room, and they're talking about something called the Stargate. It triggered what I later realized was a suppressed memory. I'm not just interested in outer space. I'm from outer space. Check, please. This is the one episode that Joseph Malazzi and Paul Molly, at least a few years ago, said was the exact same result from original conception to finished product on the screen. It was everything that they had anticipated and hoped that it would be in terms of the odd nature of Martin Lloyd and his companions, you know. By all rights, a well-done show. Yeah, I think the reason why it didn't work for me was, you know, at this point I don't think we'd even seen a whole lot of Earthbound episodes. The Earthbound episodes that we saw had a pretty significant sci-fi twist, like Holiday or Touchstone was mostly on Earth. 
This mm-hmm. was, you know, SG-1 in civvies running around talking to a guy who seemed like a normal guy. And his psychiatrist, who turned out to be one of his alien cohorts, was yeah. a normal guy in, in a town. And there were these other thugs. And we were trying to find the ship, and eventually we did find the ship. But, you know, it, there was just a lot of running around in civvies on Earth with normal people doing normal things. Mm. It's a very odd duck kind of episode, in my opinion, but I still thoroughly enjoy the episode. It's not the first one that I'll throw in to watch whenever I have 15 minutes to kill while I'm chewing on a sandwich. But yeah, it's uh, it's a good show. The only episode in this entire season that I will not pop in, all these others I will. And that gives you kind of a hint as to my rating for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one is Entity. Really? Entity I was going to guess was... The Light. The Light? No, I enjoy The Light. Okay, tell me about Entity first. There's just something about it. And again, in the scheme of, of some of the other episodes, say from Season 7, Entity is at the top. But in Season 4, Entity is at the bottom. I just don't know what it is. It was very dark in terms of the set. The power was off a lot of the time. We had Carter transferred into a computer program and then back out again. Uh, the threat, the uh, artificial intelligence. We had to play on its relationship to the other AIs on its original planet, otherwise it wouldn't have uh, sacrificed itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was good. But see, there's there's a little bit more of a suspension of disbelief than Stargate required at this point. Plug Sam into this computer and her consciousness will stream back and forth between her body and the computer construct. That was a little sci-fi-ish, a little more than, than SG-1 mm-hmm. usually did. Uh, I loved the way that Amanda Tapping played the evil entity possessed Sam. Yeah, they did a good job. It's amazing what uh, uh, what makeup and a dead stare can do. You are on ale. Yeah, we've established that. This one has memory of you. The one you're talking about is a person. Her name is Major Samantha Carter. Then I am Major. No. No, you're not. The Light is another one that is uh, towards the bottom of my list for this season. I like it. I like the the, the off-planet team adventure. But um, I don't know. This is about the team goes and, and basically finds a ghouled opium den, but it's technological, and they get addicted to staring at this light. So it, it's a challenge, I would think, as a writer and producer to make the team standing still staring really have a lot of entertainment value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a lot hedges on this guest character the the kid lauren played by christian Iyer. it's toward the bottom of my list as well i loved the idea of it i loved the idea of daniel and the rest of the team wanting to commit suicide their relationships are really tested in this one uh there's, there's some really good exchanges if i had to have another bottom of the barrel pick it would probably closely be um beneath the surface Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, SG-1 is used as forced labor. They are led to believe that they are members of this uh, group of denizens who are, are trying to rebuild their society, while the other half of the society lives above ground, fully aware of what they are doing to those below. A very powerful show, not one of the ones that I was absolutely in love with. Interestingly, though, this is one where um, a lot of fans have suggested that the episode would have been a lot better had it been done in black and white. Well, that's an interesting suggestion. I have watched the show in black and white, and it is good. Putting our team in that situation and having them not know who they are is blends a very a very otherworldly, a very what-the-heck-is-going-on-here kind of a feeling. There's great shippy stuff with Sam and Jack when they don't have the military regs, but they still have their, their feelings bubbling below the surface. 
Uh, if you're a shipper, you're going to like Beneath the Surface for that. Um, good stuff with the fact that the team is separated and Daniel and Teal'c are not really part of the group that hang out with Sam and Jack. They have to kind of find each other. Yeah, they, they find each other and, and Daniel starts to realize that they were a part of something together. Mm-hmm. Hammond and his dedication to finding the team and refusing to believe the administrator, Administrator Calder. In season four, you know, there's a lot of really great classic sci-fi premises. You know, the team's lost their memory. Um, the team is addicted to this light. Uh, another really great sci-fi premise is Upgrades, which is a fantastic yes. episode. The team gets superpowers in this technology. Did you just read that? I guess. What, what, what reason did Hobbes give for the fall of the civilization? Failing agricultural infrastructure. Jack, it's unbelievable. Hey, it's just theory. The Tok'ra are basically using SG-1 as guinea pigs. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, there's this uh, Gould uh, mothership that's being built that we want you guys to destroy which I think showed up anyway in uh, The Serpent's Venom. <laughs> but anyway... Was that the same ship? I didn't think it was the same ship. Apophis was working on this brand new ship, and everyone blows it up in upgrades, and then seven or eight episodes later, Apophis shows up in this huge brand new mm-hmm. ship. Come on. He just has a different awesome mothership, and the ability to cloak a fleet. Yeah, and for continuity's sake, I think I would have enjoyed it much more if they had these superpowers and upgrades, and they went in, and they, they got in there, and they failed. You know, and they just had to get out anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have served continuity better. But, you know, still a great episode if you're a shipper. Some great moments in there for Sam and Jack. And some great Jack lines. These are some Jack lines that I still quote to family and friends to this day. And, you know, the the best Jack lines are the ones that you can quote and nobody knows that you're quoting Stargate. Your strength is five times that of a normal human. So, no increase then, huh? I'm going to go watch that episode again just to catch some more of those one-liners. It's a good uh, one. So what do you think of Anise? This is a controversial character who's introduced the Tok'ra babe, the, the Tok'ra with the tight leather costume. A lot of fans are threatened by any character that is in there that shows her boobs but does not equally show brain power. They're threatened by it, and mm. I was never... Well, I'm a guy. I, I, I'm, and a large number of the most dedicated fans in Stargate are women. So I wasn't threatened by it. I thought she was a fascinating character. Her character was a blatant result of Seven of Nine. I was a big fan of Seven of Nine, huge fan. More for her intelligence than anything else. Mm-hmm. I can understand why some people felt, uh, felt upset about Anise, but I was not one of them. What about you? I like the character and the way in which she was conflicted much more with her symbiote, her Tok'ra symbiote, than it seems like a lot of other Tok'ra were. Yeah, the the snake liked Daniel for his mind. And Freya, <laughs> the host, had a hankering for some Jack O'Neill. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I like the character. I like the actress. I'm glad they brought her back and used her some more. She was referenced later on in the series, and I wish that they had, had shown her one or two more times. She sort of disappeared after... Season 4. Atree says, Season 4 of SG-1 absolutely rocked. There were so many good episodes that it's hard to decide which is the best. For me, episodes tied first place, Window of Opportunity, and 2010. 
WOO was the funniest episode of SG-1 ever. Even now, so many years later, I laugh when I watch it. It's simply a classic. And 2010, on the other hand, embodied everything SG-1 as a team is. Even after 10 years of being apart and estranged, they still set out to change the history of mankind on a suicide mission. Jack going to them to help, even after rejecting Carter and her rushing back to help her team, shows that no matter what happened or will happen, they will face it together and succeed or die trying. Atri, I think, uh, is right on a lot of fronts here. 2010 is just one of my favorite all-time yeah, let's talk episodes. about that one. It was an amazing show. And I confess that I did not see it uh, when it aired. So I went online to download a 20-megabyte version of the episode, and I watched it on this teeny, mm-hmm. tiny, pixelated little screen. I was so disappointed that I didn't wait. Yeah, I remember uh, Squinty Screen back before internet video got big. Yeah, it, it's such a good show, and to see it for the first time like that was just, just awful. 2010 but, is a great episode, and I think Atri is exactly right. It demonstrates the degree to which SG-1 is a family, because this is something like a decade or almost a decade after SG-1 has disbanded and gone largely their separate ways. A lot of them, most of them still keep in touch, still mm-hmm. see each other. Sam still sees Janet on occasion, but Jack is pissed off because he thinks the whole Ashen thing is a bad idea and he's gone off to be a hermit crab in his cabin. You know, the relationships that they have even a decade after they were working together uh, and and the fact that they come together to not only do this huge mission to save the Earth, but sacrifice themselves in the process. I mean, that's it's exactly right. That's, this is what SG-1 is all about, I think. The birth rate has been cut over 90%. Supposed to be a third of that. You knew. The Shen insisted on it. Oh my god. Honey, they see further ahead than we do. They knew that if we didn't limit growth, we wouldn't. Is that what you call this? Well, obviously, this is not what we agreed I to. I can't believe this. We didn't have a choice, Sam. You sold us out. But you think this was my decision? You could have told me. Oh, come on, Sam. You know how it works. Before the Alliance, you spend most of your adult life in, in secrecy. Oh, please. That was different. Sam, it's the same. No. It's exactly the same. President Kinsey in this one and, and a married Sam Carter. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a part two, a chain reaction in that regard, because uh, Kinsey had just announced his run for the presidency. Chain reaction, the best Hammond episode, I think the only Hammond episode. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this was immediately previous to 2010. Yes. Kinsey had announced his run for the White House, and then we see in, in 2010, 10 years later, he's the president, and he's mm-hmm. evil. The other reason I love 2010 is it shows us the Stargate in a, in a future where it's public, and it's being used publicly for transportation to other planets. A lot of us talk about the fact that one of this great untold stories of SG-1 that we would still love to see is the Stargate program being revealed to the world. And and maybe they'll do it for, for a big movie one of these days, but this is kind of a version of that, and it's really, really cool. Train reaction, O'Neill teams up with Mayborn. Mm, Mayborn. Uh, and- Every time that we've seen these two before this point, they've been rivals. The Mayborn story starts off earlier in the season with mm, Watergate. He's Watergate. with the Russians. He's fled from the United States. He's a traitor. He's a traitor. He's a fugitive, starting with uh, Shades of Grey. His little yeah. illegal NID operation gets found out. And right. he's a monkey on the lamb. We capture him at the end of Watergate, another great uh, sci-fi episode. Great guest appearance by Marina Sirtis as a Russian uh, Svetlana Markov. Gets thrown in jail, and Jack pulls strings to get him out because he knows that Mayborn has connections to figure out what's going on with General Hammond. Mm-hmm. Who's been forced to retire. It's another great example of the team fighting to save their own. There's a nice little B story in Chain Reaction where there's a new commander of the SGC who's... General who's Bauer. General Bauer, and he's 
He's stubborn and boneheaded and does this extraordinarily dangerous thing that almost destroys the world. Sir, I'm picking up increasing levels of radiation in the gate room. They're gamma rays, ultra-high frequency. Shut down the gate! No response. Radiation levels approaching critical. Sir, if that iris succumbs to the heat and loses integrity, there will be no way to stop the radiation from bombarding the base. We have to evacuate. We were positive the other gate would be destroyed. Sir, we have to act now. We can monitor the gate from a security station on level 16. What's going to happen, Major? I have no way of knowing that, sir. Guess your risk assessment didn't cover this. Yeah, he's not in command for very long before he starts ruining everything. Well, back to Watergate. This was a, this was a cool one, and it's another one of those things where you always say, what if we dialed to a planet and the Stargate was completely underwater? What if it was in the middle of an ocean? Watergate mm. answers a lot of those questions. Does does water come back through the event horizon? How do you get there? If you can get there in a little mini-sub like we do, then how do you get back? So we learn a little bit more about wormhole physics in that one, even though it turns out not to be water, at least not 100% water. Marina Sirtis. Man, watched her on TNG for so long, it was kind of hard to buy the Russian accent, but I thought she did a great job. How do you know about the SGC? I have read extensive files on all of you. The question was, how? I learned to read English at the age of six. It is not difficult. Russian humor. It's easy! Just jump and pull this! This does not seem wise, O'Neill! He said it was easy, not wise! Yeah, Tilka's now doing U.S. military stuff like jumping out of an airplane, which he never did as, as, as a first, first prime. prime. Another great Star Trek crossover appearance is Rene Auberginois in The Other Side. Mm. A great episode, a great moral episode. What the hell was that? The lead arrow fighter in your formation struck an enemy bomber head on. I saw people in that thing. You said they were unmanned. I said the reconnaissance craft was an unmanned drone. It presented an easy target and therefore a suitable demonstration. But their bombers are manned. You have killed several of our enemy, Colonel. And we are grateful. Had they been fighting an enemy that we could sympathize with them fighting, we would have had it all. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. technology and Beta Canton and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, we would have gotten. Uh, but of course, they had to be Nazis. Great little moral dilemma. The Stargate program is entering its fourth year. One of our main objectives in having millions of dollars pumped into this program every year is procuring to go come. out there and find goodies, find advanced technology. To help Earth. And these guys, uh, the Urandans, are giving it to us on a silver platter, and all we have to give them is something that we have tons and tons of. Deuterium, part of heavy water. They started this war with this, this people they call breeders, and are trying to exterminate them on racial grounds. Also, her first appearance in Stargate, Anne-Marie Loder, later Anne-Marie DeLuise. That's right. Uh, she would later come back in season 10, one of my favorite episodes from season 10, Batty. Uh, she appeared in this one. The Curse, the introduction of my favorite Goa'uld, Osiris. I love the curse. Anna Louise Plowman is gorgeous. Not to mention super talented actress in the role of Sarah slash Osiris. I've been trying to get an interview with her for a long time. If anyone has connections out there to Annalise Plowman, please hook me up, please. <laughs> yeah, I love The Curse. Here's an example of an Earthbound episode 
that you know it's mostly the team running around in their civvies, or at least this was this was focused on Daniel. Uh, Sam mm-hmm. and Janet get to do some backup work back at the lab, but uh, with the exception and they also of, run and gun at the end. Yeah, a few fun scenes. Jack and Teal'c are off fishing, so this is mainly a Daniel episode. Daniel's running around in civvies, going back to his old roots uh, in academia in Chicago where he went to school and studied with Dr. Jordan. But this is a fantastic episode and it not only has a ghoul loose on the earth, but it has this great little twist at the end with it, it being the person you didn't think it was going to be. Did you see that one coming? I did not see it coming. I did not see it coming. And when Osiris, she steps out of the fog in, in the pyramid at the end with, with her, her ribbon device rays. It's, man, that's cool. Daniel Jackson. You seem to know much of the ghouled. Much more than any other human I have encountered since my awakening. Now, tell me, where is the Stargate? I don't know what you're talking about. Insolence. The Egyptian mythology, and you know, you see all these movies like The Mummy and everything. I was waiting for a reference to an Egyptian curse. I was like, when are they going to bring in a curse at some point? And then we get an episode called The Curse. It was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And the, the Goa'uld element in it was fantastic. Yeah, with some nice little mythology tie-ins to Seth. My other favorite Daniel Jackson episode for season four is Absolute Power. Daniel goes nuts. Mm-hmm. A great capping of, of the story of the Harsesis child. Uh, Lane Gates playing Shifu. Just a terrific episode daniel goes evil daniel goes dark side destroys moscow yeah we get the weapon that we need to protect earth we've got it we've got our defense satellites the ag3s and what do we do we carve moscow out of the surface of the earth absolute power is a nice little cautionary tale obviously the the title is the cautionary tale absolute power corrupts absolutely i love seeing evil daniel and and jack having to make this decision at the end that daniel has gone over the line and you gotta try and take him out. Don't you think it was a little strange you got through security with a loaded gun? A little. You never were that bright. It's yeah, not I... one of my favorite episodes of the season. It's it's really kind of, it's kinda of middle of the pack for me. I don't know why. Maybe it's again it's it's earthbound. There's a lot of earthbound stuff this season, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, some of those are better than others. An episode that is not quite as universally loved, I would say, is Prodigy, because we get this brat character in uh, the upstart young cadet who Sam tries to take under her wing, Jennifer Haley, played by Elizabeth Rosen. A lot of people, I think, don't like this episode because the character is so abrasive. I like that character a lot. I did, too. Jennifer Haley had a lot to learn, but it was still a very well-done episode. It introduced a very curious uh, species, which may or may not have returned in the Defiant One in Atlanta Season 1. This was also Bill Dow's first episode as Dr. Lee. It was, yes. He was just kind of one of the random scientists that were on this planet, slash moon. And they brought him back, and they brought him back, and he became a major recurring character in the last couple of years of the show. Jennifer Haley also came back in season five, the episode Proving Ground. Now, we talked about the ethical conundrum in the other side. I think the epitome of the ethical conundrum at Stargate episodes for all ten years is Scorched Earth. This is where SG-1 resettles a small population of people. They've lost their planet. 
resettled them on this new planet only to discover that there is a giant alien spaceship that's terraforming the planet mm-hmm. and is we can blow up that ship and stop that already dead civilization from being able to be reborn or we can let them wipe out the Incarns. Once you are safely to your home planet, I will be reintegrated into the ship's systems and the ship will return here to complete the transformation process. Does it have to happen? Uh, the part about you being reintegrated? What other option is there? But you are in Karen. You must stay with us. That is not contrary to my programming. Lotan says thank you. He'd like that very much. Scorched Earth holds a tie with me for season five's Red Sky in terms of the moral and ethical in-your-face dilemmas of Stargate SG-1. I love the character of Lotan. I cared about the Incarans, and even though they were really creepy, I cared about the Gadmer too. Uh, and it was just working with both parties to find the solution. Yes, the, the terraformer only has enough juice to terraform one planet, but yes, it can also put it on hold long enough to transport the Incarans back to their original homeworld, which was believed long lost. It's just a good tale, and uh, it's another one of those nice, oh, isn't it's that nice, nice kind yeah, of endings. And it's it's another one of those nice Jack versus Daniel. Jack is very practical, very military-minded, uh, and Daniel is very much focused on you know what's the right thing to do even if it even if it has a great cost here mm-hmm. uh, or really more daniel was not pushing for the gadmir over the incarians he was trying to find an, a, a middle ground he was trying to find a way out and at the end he finally does in convincing lotan the artificial intelligence running the ship to to go and and find the incarians a new place to live that was an alternate ending actually the original ending for the episode i think uh, if i remember Joe Malazzi's comments was the Gadmir ship was destroyed. Yeah, in the original version of the script, Lotan himself actually blew up the ship and destroyed the Gadmir civilization. Wow. Interesting. That was one of the things that seasons 9 and 10 of SG-1 did. It, it gave us episodes where things did not turn out so well in the end. Like, if you look at the Ethan, mm-hmm. you know, we, we think that we've solved the civilization's problems, and then we go home and we find out that they started fighting one another, and they basically blew each other up. Mm-hmm. In these earlier episodes, that doesn't happen. You know, everything, for the most part, ends nice and neat when dealing with civilizations that we have come across, yeah. and we're trying to help. What do you do? Who do you side with? You know, do you do you side with the people that you've met and you know and you love, and, and do you ignore the the creatures that don't look like you and have needle noses and and ten legs and things like that? And this is it's a very practical episode. When I go back and plug in uh, old episodes of SG One to watch watch some classic SG One, I very very frequently go and watch Tangent. I do too. I, I was love going to say that yep. O'Neill and Teal'c in that episode, Rick and Chris Judge Rock, mm-hmm. stuck in a death glider with no power, zooming away from the Earth. And this is this is a great example of those sorts of stories we talk about, where before Earth had ships, you could you could tell these sort of crisis episodes in in terms of of Earth and SG One does not yet have the the technology and the ability to go out and kind of do whatever we want. This yeah. was one of our first attempts at making a ship based on cannibalized parts from the two death gliders that we got uh, in Serpent's Lair at the start of Season 2. This sort of story can't be told now that we have ships and beaming technology. And Jack and Teal got stuck in a death glider? Okay, well, send a ship. We'll go get them. 
I think this is one of those kinds of stories that they're looking to be able to get back to doing in Stargate Universe mm. by getting cut off. You know, these are the kinds of stories that I want to see again. Obviously not this story, obviously not Tangent, but something like it. Jacob, is that you? Yes, it is, Jack. Now do what we tell you. Do you know your ship's bigger than ours? Colonel, we need you to concentrate. Blow the canopy. On my mark, not before. Right. My favorite TL episode from uh, season four is not Crossroads, but the Serpent's Venom. Serpent's Venom, yeah. Teal proves himself to Ragnar that he absolutely believes in what he is saying and won't even say that the gold are gods to stop his pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will not do it. And at the same time, Jacob and Sam and Jack and Daniel are running to help him. And it's some great comedic stuff with the minefield. A really cool prop. Mm-hmm. Reprogramming and the Tobin mine reprogramming inside it, the yeah. cargo ship. That was great. Apophis is already here. If we release the mine now and it explodes, the mission will be ruined. And if we don't release the mine now, we'll be ruined. Then enter the right combination. We tried. What does Selmak say? Try again. Very helpful. I love Serpent's Venom. Tilk is Tilk is Tilk. This this is who Tilk is. He's he's mm-hmm. proud. And he's not gonna sacrifice his pride. Well I guess it's it's a lot more than just ending his pain. I mean Tarok, his his interrogator, torturer, is basically telling him to renounce his sinful ways and repent. The other Tilk episode, Crossroads, one of my favorite uh guest actresses, uh Musetta Vander. Uh she played Shanok. And a great episode about whether or not you can change a Gould, fundamentally change a Gould. Mm-hmm. Can a Gould be convinced to, to join the Tok'ra, the resistance movement? To become a Tok'ra. And it's just another shining example of Gould deceit. Among many on Chulak, you are as revered as the gods once were. And yet you walk away. My place is here. Is it? Braytek cannot be expected to bear the burden alone. It was you who first began walking this path. Do not abandon those who have followed you this far. I have abandoned no one. I like seeing Tilk's backstory here. This was, uh, I assume, before he got married, he was involved with Shonok, who mm-hmm. was a, a priestess, presumably for Apophis, in the temple yes. there. Because Tilk grew up, spent all of his adult life with Chulak as his home planet. I was a little uncomfortable about this episode because he's still married. He and, is, yeah. yeah. But it was still a good episode, the introduction of Tanith. And the fact that the Tok'ra are willing to go to such great lengths to to protect this spy that they have. Mm-hmm. They're even willing to put Shonok in this compromising position and allow her to be killed in order to convince Tanith that he's got them all fooled. Do you think that that was their intent, to, to put Shonok in harm's way? I don't I think that don't was their intent. I don't think they intended for her to die, but post a guard at the door. Yeah. She seemed to be very, very in a compromising position. So now we can't get out of season four without talking about what was at the time the most controversial episode of the season, Divide and Conquer. Yeah. There is a big debate if you were in Stargate fandom in season four as to whether... Sam and Jack, not only should they be together, but do they really have feelings for each other, or are the shippers just imagining it all? And this was, as far as I'm concerned, this was official on-screen recognition that they had feelings for her that were 
beyond the bounds of what was appropriate for their military relationship with Jack being Sam's CO. With the Zatark detector. I didn't leave because I'd have rather died myself than lose Carter. Why? Because I care about her a lot more than I'm supposed to. Their caring for one another was the whole reason that the Zadark detector determined that they were lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, was because that that was something that they were concealing because they were uncomfortable about it, and all those people were listening in. So therefore, they must be programmed assassins. Another great element of Tokra logic. A good show, and even though it was the death of Martuf, man, that was intense. That's the other reason this episode is so controversial because I think it's safe to say that Martuf was pretty universally loved. Uh, sorry that he didn't manage to come back and summon it in Last Stand like they wanted him to. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's the way it went down. Yep. It, it definitely made for a hugely significant, memorable episode with, with major impact at the end. Another one that I thoroughly enjoy is not one of my all-time favorites, but I will still pop it in, is the first ones. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Unas. The Unas. Shaka, uh, Dion Johnstone, did a fantabulous job playing this character. I just did a great job mm-hmm. and really made you feel for the for what he was going through, a rite of passage that he was on, a, a ritual rite, and uh, eventually sticking up for his own prey. First ones was Stargate's answer to uh, classic science fiction film Enemy Mine, where you get one of your heroes trapped on a planet alone with an alien with whom he can't communicate, who is very alien. Who is the mm. enemy? The Unas, up to this point, let's remember, were enemies. We'd seen them in episodes like uh, Thor's Hammer and Demons. And mm-hmm. they were possessed by Gould and super strong monsters. And These were the first seeing, ones that weren't. Now we're seeing primitive Unas uh, living on the, the planet where the symbiotes, the Gould symbiotes, originally evolved and took them as their first hosts. Shaka dragging Daniel through through the forest and, and Daniel trying to escape from him. There's there's so much good stuff in this episode, and there's so much humor that I love. Uh, from Nan. Don't say con until you've tried it. One of my favorites, one of my very favorites of the entire series that we've left for last. You know which one it is? Double Jeopardy. That's right. Why would you settle for one SG-1 when you can have two? You can have two. And Harlan, one of my favorite guest characters, Jay Brizot. I was so excited when I found out that they were going to revisit this episode and, and, and do a continuation, revisit this episode from season one, Tin Man, where we had robot doubles of SG-1, where at the end of that episode, they got left behind on the planet, and you know they're not going to That was a story put. that was begging to be told. What the hell do you think you're doing? Same thing you do, only better. What does that mean? Better? It means better. Stronger, faster. You're not me, and you don't work for the Air Force. No. But that doesn't mean I can't do the job. And, like, I'm going to spend my eternity on that lame-ass planet. You gave me your word. Oh, is this the first time you've lied to yourself? I told you what you wanted to hear. Besides, what were you going to do? Destroy me? I might have. All right, come on. Bring it on, Flyboy. Let's go. Come on. Oh, you little shit. Sirs, as much as I'd like to see how this plays out, don't we have something more important to do? If the writers were uh, were in the mode in season four to, to do more long, drawn-out story arcs, I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to see a couple of references earlier in the season to an SG-1 that some planet had encountered, some civilization had encountered that we can't figure out who the heck they're talking about. 
and then we finally figure out in Double Jeopardy. Mac Jackson writes in and says, For me, season four was continuing the excellence from the beginning. It was wonderful to watch a show and have complete faith in every episode as it aired. Many of the fun what-if ideas fans wanted to see were present with upgrades, superpowers, and Double Jeopardy, robots. Plus, it was a wonderful shipper-heavy season without losing focus on the overall team. We get a wonderful mix of the silly and important issues, too. Overall, what would you give this season? This, like season three, it's right up there as as the gold standard for SG-1. Uh, If you're going to give any season a 10 out of 10, it's going to be this one. I said last month three was probably my favorite season. Um, If it's got season four edged out, it's just barely. Nine out of 10. I'm giving this season a 10 out of 10. I went through and tallied these uh, episodes according to which ones I would and would not stick in. Out of the 22, there is only one that I would not stick in, and that's Entity. I'm definitely giving this season a 10 out of 10. Thanks to everybody for writing in and calling this week. What are we talking about next week? Just War on Stargate. This is about how our heroes wage war on the enemies that they come across. This week's listener question for you. Write us in, preferably call us in, get yourself on the air. Is there a morally wrong way to fight evil aliens and genocidal robots? Or does the question of a just war simply not belong in science fiction? This, I think, is going to be a heavier topic, obviously, and it's, it's yeah. an important topic to me. I want to get a lot of feedback from people, especially voicemail, to participate in this conversation. Uh, if you have an opinion on this, call the hotline at 616-712-1647 and leave us your thoughts on this. I want to do a little bit of an intro next week as to just what is meant by the term just war for those who have not spent a lot of time looking at that. Use in bello and use ad bellum are two major categories of, of just war theory. I'm excited about this topic. Yeah, I'm glad that we have the reproductive spheres to deal with it, because this one's going to be pretty intense. So that's our June 3rd show next week, and on June 10th we'll talk about Stargate versus Star Trek. How do two of our favorite science fiction franchises line up? And then as we said last week, we're going to do our Stargate history podcasts, looking at past seasons a little bit more frequently through the summer. We'll look at SG-1 Season 5 on June 17th. Well, that's all we've got for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the podcast. In this episode, David and I talked about Stargate SG-1 Season 4 and its awesomeness. We also gave you a preview of our upcoming interview with Ryan Robbins. Stay with Gateworld. You'll be seeing that very soon. And we gave you a special preview at the start of the show to the upcoming audiobook from Big Finish Productions, First Prime, featuring Christopher Judge. And if you're looking for a link to anything and everything that we talked about today, including all those episodes... Head over to GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 44 show notes. We always appreciate your feedback and your time. Give us a call on the hotline, 616-712-1647, and leave us a voicemail, day or night, doesn't matter when, an automated system regarding the topic, the listener question about Just War, or anything Stargate-related that you have in mind. Definitely would like to hear more of those, just random stuff that we can kick around. Or you can also post a message on the podcast feedback thread, and maybe it'll find its way onto our show. But a surefire way of getting onto the show is calling in. So that's all I've got. You know, when we started the show, I, I left my laundry by the front door, and it's all in a big oh. pile of lump, and now I'm sure it's just it's all fused together into one polyester mass. Well, go finish your laundry. So thanks for tuning into the show and listening to us ramble on. And we'll see you back here next week for another installment of 
Ye Old Gateway Podcast.